Hello there, and welcome to The Time Machine with Trish and Mike. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. And one day you will be quicker than that and be on it so quick. We've done so many shows. There's always like a what? lag. What? There's what? a lag? What do you mean? Yeah, there's always like a lag, it seems like. You're like, you you're say, Mike, and I go, and I'm Trish. Yeah. It's like always right away. <laughs> Maybe on your end it is, but it's like on my end, it always sounds like there's like a second or two delay. It's like, oh, really? I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. Oh, no, I do it like right after you say it. <laughs> Must be the delay on my end. But folks, you know, if we're starting out crazy, it's going to be another wild ride. Anyway, we're glad you're with us. And I'm just giving Trish a hard time because well, give that's me a hard time. I'm doing my job, man. <laughs> that's what I have to do. Uh, so other than me giving you a hard time, how are you doing? I'm good. Maybe there's a bit of a delay just because I'm so lazy and stuffed from uh thanksgiving dinner last week there you go that could be <laughs> i'm still trying to work it off did you uh, have a good thanksgiving i did i mean as good as one can during a pandini um oh is you that know, what we're, we're calling it now there's all kinds there's a panorama <laughs> like there's so many things on tiktok that people are calling the pandemic but <laughs> this, uh this it's, we're pretty locked down you. here so Keep- Keep me up to date on the TikTok verbiage. I know I have to Tiny. keep up all the teachers, yeah. all the the old people about the youth. Somebody has to. Yeah, no, like <laughs> cases here in in Alberta are pretty bad, and so they they said you know even with vaccination rates increasing, it's still uh, you should just hang out with two families total, fully vaccinated, under ten people. So it was. It was me and my girls' dad and stepmom and our kids, and it was low-key, and it was nice. So, All right, so I got to ask this, because obviously I'm not Canadian. What is it? Is it weird having Thanksgiving on a Monday? And I know that sounds like a really stupid question, but like it's at the end of a weekend, whereas here, our Thanksgiving is on Thursday. Right. And a lot of people typically have the Friday off, so it's like you kind of have this three-day week that you do, you know, whether you're working or going to school, some, some schools now have the whole week off, but back in, back in my day, we (laughs) went to school three days and then you had Thursday and Friday off. So it was, it's kind of like, it's at the beginning of a long weekend, whereas for Mm -hmm. you, it's at the end of a long weekend. And I mean, I guess we, we we get that with when Christmas is on a Monday or something here, but mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I'm just rambling. It like works out. I think it's nice. Like for me growing up, it was a time where then, because we had like, Oftentimes school, you'd have Friday off or you would just leave for your grandparents on Friday, right? You could be at one grandparents for like Friday, Saturday, and then another grandparents for like Saturday, uh, Sunday, Monday, and then just come back home. So it kind of works out. Normally we would have our dinner on Sunday, but uh, because of ensuring people are separate due to COVID, um, my girls had their cousins outside for like a weenie roast. Mm. That had come up from Red Deer. So they were having their Sunday event with their stepmom's side. And then gotcha. Monday we were having our thing. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I know it's we always have holidays on Mondays like Labor Day, Memorial Day, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. So it's it's not uncommon for us to have a holiday on a Monday, but none of those are really like big family events. Right. Thanksgiving se. is definitely has that like 
big family event feeling. Right. Like if somebody's yeah. having a cookout for Labor Day, you know, it's kind of more casual as mm-hmm. somebody's, you know, grilling burgers and dogs or whatever. And that type of a, a thing. So it's. Yeah. Of course, for me, I'm, it's just I, bonus sleep day. <laughs> of course, it's like you would never know it otherwise because you've always had Thanksgiving on a Monday. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of funny to think about the perspective, though. And then uh, for you guys, it does does change, you know, because it is it is different. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say for you guys, it's Columbus Day or also I know some states go with Indigenous Day or First Nations Day. Uh, Yeah. So so there's obviously over the last several years, as you know, some things about Christopher Columbus have came out. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's more of a push. Some people flat out want it to be renamed Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, But there are a lot of places that recognize both. Um, regardless of what you call the day, I don't get the day off. So, you know, everybody can just, you know, get lost yeah, pretty <laughs> much. If, if I get the day off, I'll call it whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause even I was shocked in Canada about, um, every province, except for, I think New Brunswick, PEI and Nova Scotia, it's actually like a statutory holiday off. Whereas growing up schools, we always had it off in Nova Scotia. So I never, thought about other people like oh yeah it's a holiday but people like you having to go to work still <laughs> yeah i mean it is a bank holiday so like the banks are closed and, and right. that sort of thing but you know it, it's so like, it's really whether or not like your office wants to choose to be closed that day right we have a weird thing in america with holidays because you have something like columbus day or flag day or whatever where you know the banks are closed but a lot of businesses are still open and then you know we have something like mm-hmm. labor day where you know the people who labor for a living like the blue collar jobs often wind up still working working those days and certainly like people in the the service industry work on those days Mm -hmm. like really they're the ones who should be having the day off but exactly uh well Mm. it's um it's interesting but you know you can do a lot of things when you have a day off you can read a book yeah you can read a book which brings us to our very first uh, segment for this episode, which is that C.S. Lewis is going to publish the novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, October 16th, 1950. Uh, I think most people know about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but if you don't, it's a fantasy novel by C.S. Lewis. Um, it follows the, the chronicles of these children in a mythical place called Narnia. It's over seven novels. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote it over uh, six years. And it's among one of the most widely recognized books held in libraries. Now, of course, like I said, it's set in Narnia, a land of talking animals and mythical creatures. It's ruled by an evil white witch. In the famed story, four English children are relocated to a large old country house following a wartime evacuation. The youngest, Lucy, is the first child to go, and she visits Narnia a few times before her siblings join her. And it follows their adventures as they fulfill a prophecy of being crowned the children, kings and queens of Narnia. So he wrote the book and dedicated actually to his goddaughter, Lucy Barfield. Um, She was the daughter of Owen Barfield, Lewis's friend, teacher, advisor, and trustee. So pretty cool. I mean, I never knew that Lucy in the book was actually a real Lucy in real life. So that was kind of neat. And it's listed as one of the 100 best young adult books of all time. Yeah. So if you it, haven't it, read it, get on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sad to say that there's probably a lot of books on that top 100 list that I haven't read. Like, I, I loved reading when I was a kid, but I just, I got to a point probably in my 20s where I just stopped reading. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I'll still read biographies because I love because I'm fascinated by people. But I just I don't really read a lot of books. I think for me, like I love reading. I'm the same as you. I, I escaped a lot in books as a kid. Like I was just a voracious reader, always at the library. But it's like your brain is almost too tired for me yeah. anyway, with teaching and, and going into stories for my job. It's like, oh, my brain just can't handle another story. <laughs> and maybe that's it. Maybe that's why, you know, I'm, I'm just a dumb American. And it's like, OK, I'll wait for it to turn into a movie and then. <laughs> I'll watch it but I mean, but like, even haven't you noticed though like even your viewing preferences have changed like i'm much oh, yeah. more willing to sit down and watch a tv show like like three or four episodes at a time rather than one whole movie yeah <laughs> which I is will, weird i will do that and i think because it kind of i don't know that it's necessarily add but it's something like that to where mm, yeah it's it's breaking it up i'm not like i'm not watching a two-hour movie i'm watching four 30-minute shows and in right. theory i could stop at any time Mm-hmm. You know, after an episode, I don't have to watch four of them. I could watch two of them. But if I start a movie, I have to finish a movie. Right. I'm the same so, way. I, there's so no I, pausing in the middle of a movie and taking a break. I mean, like, yeah, I'll, I'll get up and go to the restroom or something, but I'm not like, well, yeah. stopping a movie and finishing it the next night. I mean, yes, I've done I'm the that same before, way. No, but it's Mm-mm. very, it's very hard to do. I think the last book, huh, I think the last books I read were probably The Hunger Games. Oh, wow. That'd be a while ago when they first came out. That'd be a while. uh, Well, when the movie first started. Okay. uh, So like I got into the books then. So yeah, that's like I said, probably longer than I'm willing to admit, but I think I just admitted (laughs) it. So the books are so much better than the movies. I I, I say I don't read. And then actually I just finished um, the first book in the Arlo um, Finch series, which is another fantasy magical and like it's almost like uh, this kid ends up moving to a town where magic exists because of this uh it's called the long woods where his city or town kind of rubs up against so he's able to access the magic but adults being further removed from like kind of the magicalness of childhood don't recognize magic Hmm. and there's a a mystery where a girl has gone missing and so it ties into the magic so anyway it was really good it's written by, um, oh, shoot, the name's escaping me. But it was the, the guy who wrote Big Fish, the, the script for Big Fish. Anyway, it was, it's good. And then I'm working on the third book of the City of Ember series because I was reading it to my students and then I wanted to know the end of the story. The kids didn't want to know anymore, <laughs> but I wanted to know. <laughs> so I started reading it. Um, I read The Cat in the Hat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did like back in the day. Um, yeah, I, and maybe some of it is I just haven't found the right, um, genre of book to Mm. read. Maybe, maybe that's part of it Uh, because I'm not like a Lord of the Rings guy. So a lot of that stuff, that magical fairy stuff doesn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you say, well, okay, well go read like a, like a Tom Clancy novel or something. Well, to me, like an action suspense thriller type that plays better into a movie for me in a book so i just that's why i think that's why i've settled on reading biography <laughs> <laughs> well and also anything that i find too real right about right now like the last two years mm-hmm. it's like oh i'm not interested like um i was a big gray's anatomy fan and then i was waiting for i was waiting for the last season to come out on netflix well uh-huh. the whole last se- the last season's about covid and I'm watching it and I'm going, oh, this is this is far too real. Like, this feels so depressing. I, I have to commend you for getting caught up on like 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy in less than a year because you just I started powered. this show. Yeah. Yeah. I remember us having conversations back 
when you started it. And as like in January, about, I think it's been less than a year. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. That's yeah, incredible. You were like, oh, just wait until you get to like this season and this person. And I was like, okay, tr- I'm still knows, crying at it. So and, and Trish knows why I'm not a Jeffrey Dean Morgan fan. <laughs> I do now know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But I thought uh, as doing some of this research for for The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, I was actually shocked that there he actually wrote a completely like a totally different book with with different characters and everything. Oh, really? So, and I'm like, oh, I want to know. Apparently he burned it. So that's what what I discovered. Ah. But he has a quote about it. But he said that he decided to write it all based on a picture. And he said the line, the witch in the wardrobe all began with a picture of a fawn carrying an umbrella and parcels in a snowy wood. And he's like, I've had this picture in my mind since I was about 16. And then one day when I'm about 40, I said to myself, let's try to make a story about it. And it was obviously influenced by children who were leaving the cities of Britain to go to the rural countryside during World War II. He actually had three school age school age girls in 1939 come and live uh, in his home. So Margaret, Mary and Catherine, just outside of Oxford city center, they come and they live with him. And so he gets kind of inspired based on this picture and, and what's going on in the world. But actually he said that uh, he wrote a book about four children. So it's still four kids. Anne, Martin, Rose, and Peter. Uh, It's mostly about Peter, who's actually the youngest in this first original version, where he's actually the oldest in in the book that we all know about. They had all uh, gone away from London suddenly because of the air raids and because father who was in the army had gone off to war and mother was doing some kind of war work, I'm assuming a nurse, and they're sent to stay with a kind of relation of mothers who was a very old professor who lived all by himself in the country. He wrote like the whole book, I guess, but he said in a letter, uh, I have tried one myself, but it was by the uh, unanimous verdict of my friends so bad that I destroyed it. So I'm like, oh, no, like we have no record of this story. I would love to know about Peter, the youngest and and how how the what the differences of the stories would be. I think that would be fascinating. I, I'm sure at some point, because there's no original ideas anymore in Hollywood, somebody yeah. will, will just make this up just to make a movie out of it. Probably surprised it, it hasn't ha- happened. Well, and it would be interesting, like who actually takes up the mantle and maybe goes with it. Cause I know there's a whole, there was a whole shamas about who had the rights for the filming, which is why they stopped filming the movies. Yeah. You kind of have to have that figured out because that's yeah. definitely a big part of it. That's how you're going to make money, but it was, it's been translated into 46 languages adapted into nine films written as multiple stage plays and audiobooks. Um, the 2005 movie, I think, is the one that most people would automatically think of. It had a budget of 180 million and it actually made 745 million at the box office. That's a good return on your investment right there. It's very good. I prefer the old like BBC uh, miniseries because it used to play on CBC on Sunday nights and my family and I would watch like that old version. I don't even know when it came out. Welcome to Narnia. But Liam Nielsen as as Aslan in the 2005 movie. Perfect. It's crazy to think that movie was 2005. I know, right? I swear that movie came out in like 2012. Yeah, I'm actually really disappointed that they stopped making them because I was really excited for for what was going to come. When they came out, that it was going to be like one of the next big franchises. Because at that point, you know, the Harry Potter franchise had gone on for a little while, Lord of the Rings had wrapped up. So this was going to be like the new fantasy yeah, franchise Sean. for a few mm-hmm. years, you know. 
Well, and they did it so well, like they filmmakers jumped on the Aragon series, right? About the dragon and, and the books are amazing. I personally really like them. They're really in depth, full of fantasy, very much. You can see the influence of Tolkien, but the movie is so garbage that like the books cannot, like they even if they wanted to use the books as source material, they literally couldn't keep going because they changed so much and it's so badly done. The elves don't even have pointy ears. Well, then they're not even elves. Right? No. Isn't and that like a requirement for an elf is to have pointy ears? Well, and they like culturally appropriated so many things from the North American indigenous community that it was like, oh my God, this is on screen and someone thought this was okay. Like, ah. It goes back to our indigenous people conversation. It all comes back mm. around. It does. You know, what else comes back around is a roll of film. That's true. Since you talked about movies. And on October 14th, 1884. Oh, we're going back at the back, back in the day here on this one. Uh, George Eastman received a patent for his new paper strip photographic film. I'm sorry, did you say paper? Uh, paper strip photographic film. Yes. Oh, okay. So uh, he had been working on trying to find a way to take pictures, and mm-hmm. you know, in. Uh, Later on, he developed the Kodak camera. So that's where, you know, people have probably heard of Eastman Kodak. That's where it comes from. Uh, Kodak was actually a word he made up. Oh, really? It doesn't actually have any, it doesn't mean doesn't, anything? doesn't mean anything, doesn't translate into anything that, that we're aware of. It's just a word that he made up. Wow. It's sounds, not even an acronym. <laughs> yeah. It, it just sounds kind of cool. Um, and when he, which was, that was the first camera to use roll film because previous to that film was like you know when you go get an x-ray how they have to change the film every time you take a picture Hmm. that's kind of how photography was prior to that so now that you can take multiple shots in a camera it you know speeds up the photo taking process Mm -hmm. and in fact his advertising slogan when he created the kodak camera was you press the button and we do the rest pretty that's pretty you know catchy yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of people, you know, they just, they don't know how cameras and photography work, especially nowadays, because everything's digital. People take pictures on their iPhones or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of even photographers do things digitally. There's not, you know, film is not what it once was because you know, well, when was, involved. when was the last time you remember taking it to like a photo center to get developed? I have to I think admit, I was a grade 10. It, yeah, it's it's probably you know, I'd have to probably go back to high school or, or shortly thereafter, because at mm. that point, digital cameras started to become a thing. Uh, I mean, I've gotten prints made since then. But as far right, as too. actually taking a roll of film in, that mm-hmm. has been a long time. Um, so basically, the way a piece of film works is there's a base coat on one side with like a gelatin emulsion that has these small light sensitive silver crystals on them and when it's exposed to light that's where the image that you see through the camera lens when the shutter opens it sees that image and that's what you know once it's exposed to the light some of the crystals will you know change and that's what gets your hmm. image which is like really crazy to think about how you find this out and I utilize know. it in this <laughs> that- type of technology before the 1900s right right <laughs> Like, how do you figure this out then? How do you figure it out now? Figure it out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So here's so when the- you said paper, I was thinking like like flimsy, like white paper. Oh, but yeah. You're no. it's more just like flexible yeah. film paper. 
and obviously it's changed a bit. It, it would be interesting to see what his film strips look like versus what our film mm-hmm. strips look today. Obviously, it's going to be, I'm sure, a little bit different uh, because like back then everything was black and white. Now we have color mm-hmm. film. Now, color film works on a, a little bit of a similar process, but there's little differences to the quality of film. That's why you have to specialize in buying black and white film or color film when you're right. buying film. So, you know, this tradition, I think some of our listeners know I, I do photography a bit Mm -hmm. what you don't know is i have actually developed film before oh and like uh like a photo lab yeah like in a dark the red light yep i have done all this so would you like to learn how to do this i would because i think it's really fascinating and i have never done it personally okay so i took photography in high school i always wanted to take it um, it just it just never worked out scheduling wise for me to take it. And there was a period of time where I, I'm sure they have summer school up there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And typically summer school is usually like, you know, you're repeating math or science or, or whatever. Well, there was a little period of time where we could take certain electives during the summer just to get extra, you know, credits. And so I took photography and it was great. It was only like two and a half weeks, but you're doing it for eight hours a day. You Which know. is actually so smart because it, A, keeps kids busy and engaged in learning over a summer break. Yeah. Right? And it gives you something to do for to do yeah for a couple of weeks. So it was nice. Um, so that's my only complaint was I didn't get to do it very long. But it was cool to learn because you learned all this sort of stuff. So what you do when you first, you know, when you finish a roll of film, your camera either winds it up or, you know, you spin the wheel and you wind. So that way the film is in the film canister. So then what you do is you have this changing bag. So it's this black bag. No light can get in. Mm -hmm. And there's like arm sleeves that you stick your arms in. Okay. Or you could technically do this in a pitch black room, but it's easier. I found to do it in this bag. So you put your film canister in the bag. You put a developing tank, which we'll get to in a second in the bag. Put your scissors in a bag, all that stuff. So everything's in there. Well, you may need the scissors if the film is, we'll get to it. So <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, so everything's in a bag. Gotcha. Yeah. You can't see what you're doing, but you've got, I, a I'm sharp, following. you've got a sharp object in there. So don't cut your fingers off. So, well, before, before you put it in, so you, you put everything in and you crack open your film canister. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you start and you want to be careful with this because you don't want to touch the film. You want to handle it by the edges in your little developing tank, which uh, just think of it as like a cup with a lid basically, because that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's a little heavier duty than that. Um, And there's a couple of reels in there. So you take the film and you feel there's little like slider tabs, okay, that you Uh got, you start to guide the film in and then you just twist the sides of it and you're kind of just like winding it around this reel, but the, the track on it is spaced out. So that way, like the film isn't touching itself. I hope I'm describing okay, it yeah. well enough. So there, there's like a, there's something think, protecting the film from rubbing against itself. Right. Like there's a small okay. gap between. Think of oh, it okay. like um, the uh, groove on a record. How really okay. it's one continuous groove, but there's a slight gap in between the groove. So that way the next time it comes around, it doesn't run over the same sound. Right. Okay. Sound. Yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm trying to explain this on a podcast. <laughs> I hope you're following with me. It's very visual. <laughs> explicit <laughs> like Tr- trish can see me on video explaining this but you know you're driving in your car and you don't you can't see me so anyway <laughs> um so you do that 
and then you have to uh you know the film may still be attached to the canister that's where the scissors come into play so you, you need to that way you can have it fully on the reel you put the reel in this canister and you screw the lid on now the okay. lid has a funnel top that goes in between the reel so everything is fully closed at this point. like it's light you know it's dark the film is not going to be exposed to light all right okay mm-hmm. but now you can take your canister out of the bag now this is where the fun part begins so the what first... all that wasn't fun before oh that that's <laughs> fumbling in the dark without seeing what you're doing in a bag you, you pretty much other than maybe getting fingerprints on it you really can't screw too much up yet okay oh you're... i'm sure i could but continue <laughs> well if you, the lid's not on and there's light that gets in it you're screwed but so the first thing you have to do is you have to develop the film so there's like i said there's a little funnel cap that goes in between the reels so that's how you're able to pour chemicals in and out you know Mm -hmm. without exposing the film so you first have to use your developer so you pour the developer chemical in there and you have to kind of spin it around and agitate it you know for a certain period i I forget all the time periods on this because it's been so long right but so you put the developer in and that develops the image Mm -hmm. okay and so then you drain that out then you have to put the stop bath to stop the exposure from continuing to expose because that, you know, then you end up with like white ghosty like images. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So then you pour that out and then you pour the fixer in and that kind of fixes and locks in the image. Okay. Okay. Then you pour that out and then you rinse it with water. At this point, your film is fully developed. It's perfectly safe. You can unscrew it. You take it out, you hang it out, you let it dry. Oh, see, in my mind, I'm thinking of like the big, like the eight and a half by 11 baths We're where you would there. rinse the photo. That, oh, that, okay. That, so first th- you have to do all this. Yes. This, you have to develop okay. your film before you can make a photo. Oh, okay. Okay. I so get you. Now that our film is drying or has dried, now we get into actually making a photograph. Because yeah, how do they make it go from, because like film, if you look at it is very tiny, but mm-hmm. you're able to get like eight and a half by 11 images. Right. Well. That's the next step. That's where we're okay. going next. All right. So now you're you're in the dark room, and this is what everybody thinks of with like the red light and, and the mm-hmm. whole deal. Because and it, I can tell you, it does take you a few minutes when you first go into a dark room to kind of adjust to the light. And so what you do is you take your film image and you put it on basically a projector that like shoots downward, like an overhead projector. Think of oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. that. Okay. And you put your children film- born after the nineties, <laughs> there was this device. Yes. Yeah. And so you put your film strip in this projector and that's where you change the, you know, you can raise it up or lower it. And that's how you get your different image. Do you want like a five by seven? Do you want an mm-hmm. eight by 10? So on and so forth. So you do that. And then once you've determined that, then you have to determine how long the image has to expose on the paper. So you do a little trial and error. There's different methods, but I've probably rambled mm-hmm. about this way too long. But <laughs> <laughs> you, once you've determined how long you have to expose your image, that's when you put the photo paper in. You turn mm-hmm. the projector on. It you know projects the image on the paper. And then you wait for the timer. And then you shut it off. And then you basically do the same process. The, the chemicals are slightly different, but... You have to develop the image, then you have to stop the image, then you have to fix and rinse the image, and voila. And then you hang to dry, which is what we all see in movies. So I, yep. that's fascinating that like they never show the projection part, mm-hmm. just the like rinsing in a bath part. 
I'm like, oh, now a mystery has been solved. But you think about how expensive photography was too before the digital age, right? Oh, yeah. People are like, why is photography so expensive? It's like, well, first of all, you're paying for the talent of the photographer. Mm. And Which then you you're still paying do for with photography now. Yes. But like that's an added on to all these chemicals in the time of actually processing them. Yeah. I figured you might find that interesting since I rambled mm-hmm. on. <laughs> but it was it was cool. It was neat to learn that because it is, you know, something unique that a lot of people kind of don't know how this yeah. happens. And that's how it happens. Well, and, and things that are retro are coming back, right? Like records are now mm-hmm. back in fashion. So and who knows is, if this will. I think film is coming back to a certain extent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's I, I, you know, I have a DSLR, so all my stuff's digital. Am I going to run out right now and buy a film camera? No, but probably not. If I had a chance to have some fun in a dark room again, I would do it in a heartbeat because it was it was pretty cool to yeah. literally yeah. see something that you took from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of get that now with photography because I take an image and I digitally edit it and then I send it off to you know the the model or the client or whatever. But, but it's different than that tactile feeling of exactly. actually manipulating the chemicals and that yeah, exactly. So it's like then I'm taking this picture literally out wherever i come back i develop the film i've rolled this film i've developed it i take it out i enlarge it i put like i you literally do it start to finish you have birthed your baby yes and i didn't have to take an epidural (laughs) and you didn't have to take an epidural to do it (laughs) yeah no who else probably would have enjoyed an epidural anybody listening to me still rambling about photography I was going to say uh, Queen Jane, who was one of the wives of King Henry VIII, but sure. Yeah. Well, tell us about Queen Jane on another two minute Tudor time with Trish. And I realized that wasn't the song, but no, whatever. no. What was it? Tisk, tisk. It was, it was, oh, it was to green sleeves, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> King Henry VIII supposedly wrote it. Tudor time with Trish or however it goes. I cannot think of what it's a oh, Christmas tree, right? No, that's Tannenbaum. What no, that's sleeves? Tannenbaum. What child is this? What child Two is this? Minute time mm. with Trish. I will know this by Christmas time. Go ahead. <laughs> well, although it's it's actually a, a two-minute tutor time about the long-awaited prince that King Henry VIII was desperately seeking. So October 15th, 1537, the long-awaited prince is christened. Um, and his mother, Queen Jane, very pale, very ill, uh, did rally enough to attend this christening. Now, of course, uh, Jane's labor lasted for uh, two days and three nights until finally on the 12th of October, she gives birth to um, a son. At the age of 47, King Henry VIII finally had a legitimate son and heir. And so he throws a amazing party um, and he invites all the ambassadors from all the different countries to ensure that you know, all the countries of Christian Europe at this time are going to hear about this amazing birth of finally legitimizing his marriages and all that stuff. So it's it's this grand thing. Um, Edward is christened and it would go down in the record books as one of the most prestigious and magnificent events that ever took place at Hampton Court. Are there photographs? There are paintings. Does that count? I wasn't there to photograph it. I'm just saying. (laughs) So no. (laughs) Um. And, they, and Henry even like changed the baptismal font to like make it huge so that everyone in the church could see like it was 
you know, propaganda at its extreme at this point. Tragically, though, uh, King Ed or Prince Edward's mother, Jane Seymour, is going to die nine days later. So 12 days after giving birth. Um, most likely it was an infection of, of the womb um, and her body is taken in a so, you know, nine days before her son is paraded through the streets. And then nine days later, she is paraded through the streets in the same kind of grandiose celebration of her life. Uh, King Henry VIII is going to go on to always say that she was the woman, the wife that he loved the most. And uh, he always made a big to do over her. And then, you know, all of this parading and celebration isn't going to last forever because unfortunately the young prince is only going to live to be 15 and he dies tragically of tuberculosis. So all, all this, you know, pain and suffering and waiting and then celebration only to have it not last very long. Well, thank you for ending us on a yeah. bummer. Sorry. I mean, it does allow Queen Mary to become queen and then she tragically dies of a tumor. But then we get Queen Elizabeth I who ushers in the golden age of Europe uh, of English, you know, rule. So it okay. ends happily that way. There you go. And everybody lived happily <laughs> ever after the end. Sort of. The end. <laughs> uh, See, I could have rambled a lot longer, but, you know. Yeah, I didn't have the timer running. That's why. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, I'll let her just go with it. <laughs> mm. uh, I could I could talk about it for a lot longer. I'm too nerdy for my own benefit. You should read a book about that. I, oh, I don't even want you to know how many books I've read about the tutors. It's an, it's a too large of amount for a normal person who doesn't actually have a degree in the specialization of this area. <laughs> and on that note. Yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, I don't either. <laughs> it's 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 time to do the thing, I think. Time to do the thing. If you have any questions, concerns, queries, freakouts, you can find us on uh Instagram, the time machine with Trisha Mike, uh Gmail, the time machine with Trisha Mike at gmail.com. You can pop that into the old Google and find us on YouTube. Um, and you can go to Anchor and you can actually leave us uh, a message and maybe tell us, you know, about your thoughts on Christopher Columbus Day or how if you've actually developed film or anything that we've brought up on this week's episode yeah so you could do that and oh i gotta add something okay so <gasps> i rewind to, rewind so i forgot to mention this because i sometimes as we're doing research on this show you, you research a topic and that leads mm -hmm. you down a rabbit hole to other things so george eastman going back to him for a minute He's mm -hmm. the only person represented by two stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame for recognizing the same achievement. How come he got two stars for the same thing? I, I don't know, but <laughs> Hollywood, he, what are you doing? He did because you, okay. have, you have people who have multiple stars because there's different categories that you get a star. You can get it for film. You can get it for radio. You can get it for live theater. You can get it for recording. Mm -hmm. So there's they're different. And there are multiple people who have stars in different categories you know, right like uh, you know whatever and then you have some people like gene autry <laughs> or somebody i was like who who's a singer and an actor like lady gaga could right she, eventually she, she could yeah at some yeah. point um but like and then you have people like michael jackson who is in for music twice he's in as michael jackson and the jackson five for example right. so you, you get that but he's recognized for film for developing you know film so that's oh, kind of interesting. interesting anyway so where that's this... your bar trivia moment right there ah but wait there's more so that then led me down the rabbit hole of the hollywood walk of fame 
Mm. How much does it cost to get a star? Like the, does the city of Hollywood pay for it or like the person themselves? So the way it works is people get submitted, you know, uh-huh. anybody in the field of entertainment gets submitted to the Hollywood chamber of commerce, walk fame. Selection so we, committee. we, as an entertainment podcast, we could be nominated. I don't know that they're putting podcast <laughs> people in yet, but in theory, if somebody wanted to nominate us, they could. However, oh, okay. the nominee must have a minimum of five years experience in the category oh. and a history of charitable contributions. Hmm. So every June, the committee selects about 20 to 24 celebrities to receive stars on the Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, living recipients must agree to personally attend a presentation ceremony within two years of selection. So you hey, have to commit so- to being there. I mean, if, if you're dead, then they, they do posthumous selections as well. Right. But if that's you're, kind of out of your hands, right. It's like, eh, kind of can't be there because I'm kind of dead and I don't know about it. But um, so then you actually pay a fee of $50,000 to get a star. What? Yes, you, you this I never thought I thought like it was just, oh, you know, you've done such an amazing contribution to entertainment. Here is a sign of our appreciation. Fifty thousand dollars. Yes. I was um, going to say maybe see us there in five years, Hollywood, but no dice after that. <laughs> well, if somebody wants to sponsor it and that's usually where these get covered. So the fee is usually paid by like a nominating committee or maybe a fan club or a film studio or record label or broadcaster. Uh, Like maybe if you have a movie coming out, the movie studio might pay for your, because it's all for publicity. So yeah. Anyway. No, no dice after $50,000. Yeah. I, I, I would rather just have Mm -hmm. Mm $50,000. If anybody wants to just, you know, donate that to me, I'll be happy to, I, I will do some good with it. We'll do but, some good with it. I could think yeah. of a lot of good things I could do with 50,000. Yeah. So, yeah, I could too. Anyway, on that note, thanks for joining us. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Time Machine.